Oh, I'm not wearing my watch. I'm giving away all these free steps. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mighty Rewind. It's a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a movie and a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. This week it's only two of us and we're talking about The Rock, Michael Bay's action masterpiece from 1996, written by David Weisberg, Douglas Cook, and Mark Rosner, 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 starring Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, also... Ed Harris, Michael Bean, John C. McGinley, Tony Todd, and others. Um, I picked... Oh, sorry. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Brian. And co-host. Co-host. Come on, now. Where, where's my lead-up? I need, like, a uh, like sorry, an introduction off, song here. Over. I don't yeah. know what I would pick, but I, I'll give that some thought, and we'll get that introduced. But uh, we'll just say, you got Brian here. There you go. There's your lead-up song. Um, Brian, how do you feel about this movie, The Rock? I enjoyed it a lot more than I remember enjoying it this time. Yeah, yeah it's I was, pretty... I was very entertained throughout. It's good. It's, it's, like a, good, Michael, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's probably Michael Bay's good, best movie. I it's mean, a good movie. Yeah, there's some really problems, but like as a 90s excessive action movie yeah. it's pretty fun and it, honestly like it the was whole time nick cage like kind of toned down but then just having these little moments where his quirky personality showed through <laughs> and i was like i was eating it up it was like just enough nick cage for me where i was like I'm, yeah. i like this nick cage yeah very funny um we'll definitely talk about that um i i mean this movie came out when i was six and brian was four so we did not see it in theaters but i definitely saw it young like i remember i have like it that moment where the marine so i'm first of all full spoilers for this movie there's no point in talking about it without spoilers there's not really a lot to spoil if you've, you've had seen 30 years movie. to watch this movie almost yeah um and if you've ever seen an action movie, you know exactly what's going to happen in this from the beginning. There's maybe one bit that could be spoiled, but full spoilers from the beginning to the end of the movie and for everything else. Um, your birthday gifts, your Christmas gifts. Yeah. Um, I uh, have the moment where the Marines come out in the locker room or the shower room or whatever and the other marines are you know are circling them and then they just like shoot them like fish in a bucket that is that sh that scene is so burned into my memory from it might be like the earliest memory of a movie that i have it's so like it's so distant in the back of my mind wow um but yeah i i really like this movie a lot it's probably it's definitely one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies, um, and honestly, probably one of my favorite Sean Connery movies, and that includes all the James Bonds. But like, I really like him in this movie. Um, I yeah, I just think everyone does a good job. Ed Harris is great. Yeah, um, it's good, man. Yeah, it's it's good. Now, um, were there any things up at the top that you want to talk about at this with this movie? I have a couple notes that you mean uh, just like a like zoom out stuff before we get yeah into more the plot. like generalized like topics uh, like about this movie before we talk about like plot specific moments. Um, 
Yeah, I'll say I, I took a bunch of notes. I'll say uh, I thought that there was not a lot of fat on scenes in this yeah, movie. It's like, a I tight thought they script. did a really good job of like just blasting through scenes. I was like, man, I feel like we didn't get a lot of time with his daughter. I feel like, you know, there's like a lot of conversations that you just get what you need to know and then they just move on. And I was just like, in like the action scenes, same thing. Like there's not a lot of, you know, excess in the scenes. And I, I, I appreciated that. I thought it, it helped me uh, stick with an older movie. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a tight script. I was thinking it at the end. I was like, man, this movie has been two hours and 10 minutes. And and honestly, like it doesn't, it doesn't drag. You know what I mean? The whole right. time you're going. sort of, yeah, you yeah you're in it. You're, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Mad Max Fury Road, where it's just like everything serves a purpose and like it just keeps yeah. moving. It's just, it's always going. And there's a lot of different sets. There's a lot of different locations throughout the prison. I mean, obviously it's all in one prison but it's you know each each scene is in a different room of the prison so there's an entirely new set dressing like it's it's interesting like they do a good job moving through quickly um yeah you did also touch on something that i i caught throughout the watch of this movie and that is uh how quickly we move on from scenes with women in them <laughs> there, are, there are almost no there's like I mean, three f- Three female characters they in the movie. Don't feature prominently. Yeah, that's. Not... I guess I'll say four. The first one that we're introduced to is uh, Ed Harris's dead wife at the cemetery. Where yeah, she doesn't the, get a lot of screen time, does she? On the gravestone, it before her name, it says his, his wife. wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is so funny. It's it's like as if you wouldn't know. Right. But like that's what like we need to make sure that you know it's his dead wife. Oh, I thought you were laughing because it's like he kind of like de-individualizes her in a way. Where it it's does, like, but it's, it's also like, so what, get, funny. Like just like, write something more offensive on there, like dishwasher or something. Like. Imagine walking through a cemetery and just seeing whose wife, like his wife, <laughs> yeah. whose wife is that? Well, I think that's why I thought you were talking about it as more of a abstract concept, as kind of offensive. Like that's what you want to be remembered as is exactly well, that is all a of wife, it. it's, like it's not as all an individual. Of it. It's one hundred percent strange. Like yeah. no, like we don't need to spend a lot of time on it. But that was funny. I saw on his gravestone. Will it say her husband? Probably, probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's just dumb. I just thought that, like I. It's I wonder if like a studio note was like. Well, is that his mom or his wife? You know what I mean? Like, who's that woman? We should probably clarify. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Someone got a chisel. (laughs) Yeah, so stupid. Um, But yeah, really, like, no, almost no female characters in the movie. Um, Claire Forlani from Meet Joe Black. I have a note on Claire. What is that note? Uh, I'm in love with Claire Forlani. Yeah. She is so attractive. Like, I she's not in the movie that much to like really touch on her acting ability. She is a good actress. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but in Absolutely this one, she is literally she's literally just a pretty face. Um, and I, I I just like flashback and was like, dude, this was my like unspoken crush of the '90s. I feel like every time I see her on screen, I'm like reminded of how I like used to crush on her super hard back in the day. It's crazy to me that you think that it was unspoken. Because as Did she I showed up, I was it? like, oh, that's Brian's girl. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally what I thought. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I talked about it before. But yeah, dude, I I, I, I literally know... paused the movie, pointed her, pointed her out to my wife and was like, I had the fattest crush on this chick. 
growing up. I, like I just remember watching Meet Joe Black in the nineties and you being oh like my gosh. Whoa, Claire Forlani. And that's movie. the only reason I know her <laughs> I name is shit because of movie. you knowing yeah. who she was. Yeah. And so it's like her name is burdened to my yeah. brain because she, of you. she's like I, I was watching this movie and was like, why didn't this chick get more famous? And I feel like it, I don't she's, even understand the answer to that question. To be like, honest, she's a perfectly serviceable actress. I don't think that she's super great she's absolutely sure you know, yeah her acting chops fine. are just kind of middle of the road yeah she doesn't take fine. away from a scene but she doesn't add anything yeah um i'm looking through her her imdb right now and she does like meet joe black in 90 so this movie's 96 she's in mall rats she's in meet joe black mystery men and then kind of mystery falls men, that's right i think off. it was mystery men that really uh, you did had it me for pay you? attention at first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she kind of disappears after that. She shows up in a lot of like movies that I know the name of but never saw because they're just not, you know, they're not very widely regarded. And then she shows back up in the early 2000s in a couple like indies that did well, but just it kind of looks like she maybe just made some bad movie decisions and kind of burned her star. You know what I mean? Kind of one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, like Taylor Kitsch or something. That's who I always think of where he just made some bad decisions. Like he's a good actor who just is in a lot of bad movies. And so yeah, just he was really flirting with just taking that next step and the movie just never came. Garrett Hedlund is another one that yeah. is like that where it's like, man, he was poised to be the next star and I actually like him quite a bit, but like he just never really showed up in anything good Dude, after that. Say what you, you want know? about Taylor Kitsch. I actually really enjoy the movie Battlefield. Um, battleship battleship <laughs> that's, that says everything you need to know about battleship i actually really enjoy that movie and his part in it like i think he really pops in that movie i really enjoy his character i like rihanna's part in that movie <laughs> oh my god there are definitely some holes in that movie but we don't need to get into that today um, um yeah so i had a clear a note that just said claire forlani on it just because uh she she does something for me yeah um another big just like overarching thing that i noticed on this movie but two more um, this movie was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and then the score. I was like, wow, Jerry Bruckheimer, who is widely known as like the producer of two things, CSI and then all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I was like, this score feels like the Pirates of the Caribbean score. Who totally. did this score? Guess who did it? Did he do Armageddon as well? I think I was so, getting yeah. hardcore Armageddon vibes from from some of the... Well, uh, is it, is it Armageddon Michael Bay also? Probably. There's enough um, explosions in there for it to be Michael Bay, for sure. I'm 90% sure, yeah, directed Michael Bay. So that's why, because it looks exactly the same. Yeah. Michael Bay has the most obvious visual style. He's like an auteur director. Like, he has such a specific style that, like, as soon as the movie, like, the opening scenes yeah. where it's just, like, cut between military footage and, like, Ed Harris walking down a hallway or like getting yeah, dressed or whatever. It's total I was just like, vibes. this is so Michael Bay. It's insane. Like, it's so like, I, I knew it was Michael Bay going in, obviously. Like, I know that, but like, just, it was just so aggressively he has his, his style. formula that works for him. And hey, man, it's I, like I his can visuals point to multiple just, movies that I like. So I, you know what? He gets a lot of hatred. I genuinely love Michael Bay movies. I think they're very fun. Yeah. There, he just has a formula. There, it's ridiculous. It's bombastic. There's a lot of explosions. We'll talk about some of those in a little bit. But um, I genuinely like. I really enjoy Michael Bay as a director. Um, but the person who did the score is Hans Zimmer, who also did 
Pirates, the second Pirates of the Caribbean score. Um, he's on every movie. I mean, he's one of the most prolific directors, or um, uh, not directors, um, composers in film. I mean, he, but like he also has done some of the best ones. You know what I mean? He's done most of Christopher Nolan's best movies, including The Dark Knight um, and Inception and Pirates of the Caribbean 2, which has a great score, probably the best. Pirates of the Caribbean score. Um, and then he moves on and he does Interstellar. And he, he did the most recent James Bond, No Time to Die. I mean, he's, he's you know. He's awesome. He's Hans Zimmer. He's incredible. Um, really big fan. But yeah, I just, I clocked it immediately as soon as it started playing. I was like, well, I'm getting a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean vibes. This has got to be Hans Zimmer. And I looked it up and it was. So um, you had mentioned Nicolas Cage and his understated performance in this movie. I thought it was very funny. Jeff's not here to give us our fun facts. Um, Shout out to Jeff for sleeping through the podcast. And he is uh, just sleeping. No other reason to. Oh yeah. Miss could not get him to wake up this morning. Um, I do know a couple fun facts. Uh, The scene where he's playing guitar naked in the, in the house after his introduction. Right. First of all, what city does he live in? Because that penthouse apartment that he lives in is incredible. With yeah, like their sick. rooftop fuck den or whatever the fuck they were doing there. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, but like incredible apartment. He's playing guitar naked. He insisted on being naked in this in that scene. No, like that wasn't like a director's note. That wasn't in the script. He just was like, I, I really feel like how I would unwind after a near-death experience is I would be naked. And so he shot the whole scene naked and they ended up having to cut a bunch of bits where his ass is out and like you could see other stuff um which is a very nick cage thing to do um there's also the decision that stanley goodspeed doesn't swear throughout the movie he swears like towards the end of the movie when he's cussing at sean connery i think um a little bit but throughout the movie he like avoids saying like he'll like just be like i'm gonna kick the out of these marines or you know what i mean who goes cut the chit chat a-hole uh which is probably my favorite line in the movie um yeah nicholas cage makes some very interesting decisions throughout this movie it but... looks like i'm looking through fun facts right now to cover for jeff's absence and okay. uh looks like nick cage improvised most of his dialogue there you go yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure he made the decision that he doesn't swear which is a very funny choice um he specifically took the role to prove wrong those who called him too quirky for a mainstream blockbuster. He took steps to make chemical weapons expert Goodspeed a more unusual character than originally written. He ad-libbed the bulk of his lines and insisted on such eccentric touches as the aversion to swearing in the there early scene in which he sits naked in his apartment playing a guitar. Wow, I nailed that. That's just all from memory. I did not read that today. I just remember that from from other discussions on this film. Yeah, but um, I gotta say, man, like his personality really showed through. Like, look, there's there's something that needs to be said about Nick Cage, which is he's a weird dude, <laughs> and I feel like throughout his career, stop me if I'm going too far here, but he has flirted with being one of those guys that was like, you know. Um, like you're just tried and true action hero or you're just top tier A-list actors. But his like quirkiness and weirdness kind of cut him like an, like shed him in a different light in a way. 
that's kind of the impression that I've always got is that it kind of made people look at him as something other than just your absolute pinnacle top tier A-list actor. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, I think that that's, I, I am a big Nicolas Cage fan. We, I think we talked, we, did we do a whole episode on Nick Cage? I think, or maybe we just talked about a different movie that he was in. I, I think I we just talked about him at length. I don't know if we did a specific thing about it. I really like him a lot. Um, I do think that he's a talent. I think that he is a weird dude and he does bring like a weird choice to his performance. But honestly, like I appreciate that in him. Um, I think that because he goes too far a lot of the time, it makes his performance more fun and more interesting to watch. Now, do I think he's good in everything? No. And I, I think, no, but I do think that no matter what, performance you get from him like whether it's this or it's outcasts that movie that we have talked about brian and i have talked about a lot personally um, and probably on the podcast he gives a he delivers an absolutely preposterous performance in that movie um and it's still entertaining you know what i mean like it's no matter what you're gonna get entertainment value from him um i agree he definitely has flirted with like being an action hero i mean he you do he does this movie and then he does Con Air, and then he does Face Off. I mean, that's three pretty great, cheesy action film blockbusters from the 90s. You know what I mean? Those are top, some of the top three that people talk about. Um, and then he has a bunch of tax problems and has to start doing pretty much any movie he can get his hands on because I think he owed something of like close to $3.5 million to the U.S. government on back taxes. Um, so he had to make a bunch of money fast and so he made like at one point i think he was making like seven movies a year because he was having he was trying to make money you know and i think that's really what kind of diminished his star is that like i said earlier about claire forlani if you start making just like kind of ir- irrational decisions it lessens your ability to be marketed efficiently right um but i think because of that and because no matter what he what he always seems to give his all you know what I mean? He's always bringing, like, just like I brought up, like, Outcast. That was a really low budget, not a good movie, right? It was, like, a D movie, right? Hayden Christensen and Nick Cage trying to make a weird period piece together with no budget. Like, there's no way it was going to be good. But Nicolas Cage still brings 110% of a performance into that, you know? Was it a good performance? Absolutely not. But he is bringing his all to it, right? He's not just, like, phoning it in. He's putting something into it. And I think that that lends to what I, how I feel about him, which is I just respect him as a performer. You know what I mean? And like, because he is always putting it all out on the screen for you. And that's what I appreciate about him, whether he's in a good movie or a bad movie. And you know what? He's kind of made his way back into like really good movies. I don't know if you saw the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I've been seeing all the memes. So good. I I loved it. I thought it was really good. I mean, obviously, Pedro Pascal is killing it right now. The Internet's daddy right now. Um, and he's, you know, I, I don't know why he didn't get super famous until he was 40, because I just found out he was in like an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the 90s. So he's been around forever and I just didn't know he existed. Um, but he is yeah he's at the top of the uh, top of his game and then he brings a lot to that performance as well very funny apparently he actually is a super fan of nick cage so that was like his dream role like when he heard that the movie was being made 
he like like asked if he could be in it you know what i mean and it comes through in his performance he's clearly a fan and yeah i don't know i just i i think that he nick cage has kind of made his way back into hollywood's good graces after kind of falling off for a while and becoming a joke you know Mm -hmm. so you know the funny thing is is like i think i think there are a lot of people that embrace his quirkiness i mean god there's a subreddit titled one true god that just is about nick cage and everything nick cage and i just you don't get that with your normal a-list actors and stuff it's it's there's something about his quirkiness that people put their arms around that yeah you know i think we agree with here so yeah i'm i'll point everybody to an episode of community that i'm not quite sure what the name is but abed takes a class that's like nick cage like god or crazy or something like that and it's like he they're like oh you can't watch more than one nick cage movie in a row or like you can't watch more than three nick cage movie in a row you'll lose your mind and then he watches all of his filmography and then he does like a massive nick cage impression where he like breaks down in the in the front of a class while giving a presentation on like whether or not nick cage is a good actor and it is like if you don't like community this episode is worth watching it's very funny and it's very true it's that that's that discussion we're having right now it's like is he good or is he just fun to watch it's like it's really hard to figure it out but he's just such a weird person that it kind of like it doesn't it don't doesn't detract it just kind of like pulls him out of the swim lane of other like a-list actors and makes him something else i don't know how to explain that any other way exactly wholly unique i think that he is truly a good actor i just think that he's very weird and very off kilter and so it but it doesn't lend itself to this weird discussion yeah it just makes you look at him different like i honestly the closest comp i have is uh mcconaughey because mcconaughey like strikes me as a, an a-list actor but he's kind of a weirdo like you watch his lincoln commercials and he's like rambling and weird and like you watch him in true detective which is one of his best acting performances but he's just oh. freaking bizarre like he's so true detective is by far his best acting oh yeah like, he deserves so an oscar weird. for that tv show <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he's such um, a, he's such a weirdo throughout that it's like you know, like I, I see those two guys as very similar in that way. Yeah, I do think they're similar. Although I will say McConaughey always delivers like a pretty subdued performance. But that's a different discussion. I did want to segue into some of the other actors in this movie. Uh, we get Sean Connery in, like, like I said, I think this is personally one of his best roles. It's basically him getting to play old James Bond um they lend they put a lot of references to james bond like back in my day we did this with snorkels and flippers which is a reference to i think dr no where he he literally shows up on a beach and he has like goggles with a snorkel on on his head and like flippers in his hands like he uh talks about being trained by british intelligence and being a part of the sas um yeah i think you know he is playing james bond in this movie whether they admit it or not um, what do you think of his performance in this movie? You know, it's so funny because um, I was struck in this movie by how much I can't picture many roles where I'm like blown away by Sean Connery's acting ability. And like, I'll say, I think a lot of that suffers from the fact that I don't watch movies from the 60s and 70s. True. Um, or you 80s. Know, so like, it's not really fair for me to be judging him too harshly. Um, the the movie that I think have I've always hung my hat on or 
hung his hat on uh, for being his like work that I enjoyed the most is is as Indiana Jones's father in yeah. The Last Crusade. I really enjoyed. Did you know him he's only movie. like seven years older than Harrison Ford <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> or like I mean, twelve? Like not like not, he's not old enough dad. to be his dad. Yeah, yeah he just <laughs> so older. funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but then that movie, he does a great job. And so I was like trying to think of other movies where I was like, dude, like Sean Connery is the true legend that I always hear about. And I was like, this is this is the other movie that I can point to that I re- really remember appreciating him in, um, you know, and I yeah. was being reminded of that watching it. And I think I think he's good in it. I think he does a good job of of, you know, just laying that role down and, and having the gravitas, you know, I think that's something about Sean Connery is that every time he's on screen, he really has a gravitas that, um, you know, I'm not looking at other characters when Sean Connery's on screen. You know what I mean? What? I'm looking yeah. at Sean Connery and I, I don't really know sure. what he's doing to make that happen, but he's, he's got, got an ineffable quality. That's yeah, just charming and like magnetic or something. Like it's unexplainable really. Like, it's what made him the perfect James Bond and like without him being James Bond, that series would not exist. And that's one of my favorite film series of all time. But like it really needed someone like Connery to lay the foundation for it to be what it became. Right. And like, yeah. there's just something about him that is so like when he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off of him. And it's sort of how I feel about, um, uh, Michael Shannon is like that for me for some reason, like not in the handsome way, but like in like his performance way, he's just like exuding something that is just like, I can't like look away when, when he's on, on there. Yeah. yeah. And Anya Taylor joy in recent years, she like brings there's it, something sure. about her that like, like we've talked about her being beautiful, but it's not that like, it's not just her beauty. Like there's a quality to her performance and like what she's doing that. Like I can't look away when different... she's on screen. They, they have, this same gravitas but for different reasons for her i think she does so much we've talked about this in the past so much like expression without really trying to express anything like you can just see it in her eyes see it in her face she's she's got um expressive an expressive quality that makes you continue to pay attention to her because she's communicating to you even when she's just standing there right michael shannon I think he's got a lot of that as well, where he's, it's just his acting ability. Sean Connery, I don't know if I would, I would give that to him. I don't know if it's that he's just no, such it's, a good actor. It's, it's just on a different about, plane, but it's, it's something quality, about the way yeah. he's just so classic. And like, I think the people around him just kind of treat him like there's just a certain yeah. deference that like comes through. I don't know how to explain that. Like, even in the scene I mean, where he and Ed Harris are communicating and he's basically a prisoner on, under gunpoint. And yeah, like he calls, Ed Harris a fucking idiot and like straight up using those words and yeah. and Ed Harris just kind of like you know like takes, takes it, it on the chin takes yeah. it and keeps the conversation going and this is a four-star general that is committing mutiny against the United States government and he has some British dude come in stroll right into his operation his terrorist operation and call him an, a fucking idiot to his face and Ed, Ed Harris just continues the conversation and lets him get away with it and I was just like like in oh, my yeah. head, I was struck by it. And I was like, I don't even feel like I could picture another actor that would like get away with that in a in in just the scripted movie. Like I feel like you had to do it because it was Sean Connery, you know. Well, yeah, I mean it's scripted that way, obviously, but also you can. I do think I was interested. There's a scene where they're having uh, sort of a stare down where they're all pointing guns at each other or something, and or maybe it was in that scene in the courtyard where I just was blown away by how much it seemed like everybody in the shot was just like they were looking at Sean Connery but it felt like I could see their respect 
or like their awe or yeah. something like that. Like where they're like, holy shit, that's Sean Connery in front of me. Like I felt like I could see it in everybody's face. And maybe I was projecting because that's probably how I would look at him. Look, I will say Sean Connery had some very horrible, outdated views on women. I'm not going to sing his praises and say he was like a perfect guy, but I do respect him as like he was the first James Bond and like he was a great just a great actor throughout his career and you know league of extraordinary gentlemen aside he didn't really have a lot of misses um and there's just a respect for him i don't know there's something about his quality where yeah i don't know what it is he's charming he's confident he sells this role as sort of a a badass with like kind of loose morals you know what i mean like he is he does always choose the right thing but like again almost like under duress you know what i mean like right, he, he doesn't want to, to but he has to not do it but then he's like pulled back in yeah yeah he's like a perfect anti-hero he crushes it in that way um i just i don't know man there's just something about him that was really great um 100 yeah, love love him in this position or in this role um ed harris I don't know, like, we never really talked about him. He's just one of the greats. I Dude, he's, he's not he's so solid every time. Yeah, he's good in everything he does. I don't I don't know if it's because he's bald or something, but, like, he feels like he should have been a lead in more things. You know what I mean? Like, he's always, like, one of the main characters in every movie he's in, but, like, he's never the draw, like, the mainstream draw, and I don't understand why. <laughs> Not always, but yeah, I guess that is it. He does always sort of choose a villainous role. Is that because well, I mean, he's bald? We've, we've Do you think s- they give him the bad guy role? Like, I don't he wasn't know, even man. Bald in this one, he had a full head of hair, didn't he? No, he's bald. He's bald. He's been bald oh, guess, his whole life. I think like he was born is, bald. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's. Um, here's the thing: like, he plays this like villain you can root for every time. Shoot, I can even name another Nick Cage movie where he does that in National Treasure Two. You know, like he's, oh, he is he's that, just trying it? to clear his family's name. He's not trying to hurt anybody. You know what I mean? In that like, movie, isn't he descended from John Wilkes Booth? No, it's it's some other <laughs> oh, okay. you know, made-up um, character or something. But yeah, he, he just plays villains that you can kind of get on board with. You know, like in this one, like I was rooting for him the whole time. I wanted him to figure out some way to get the money. I was like, dude, it's only $100 million. Like that's a drop in the bucket. Let's go. Like take care of your people, you know? And like, yeah. and then like every time he was faced with a really tough decision, all he did was try to do the right thing, <laughs> you know? Well, the, the so character was, flip at the end where he's like, I was never going to do it. I was, we were bluffing the whole time and they called our bluff. You know, I was just kind of like, ah, you know, like it makes you really feel for this guy who it was hard yeah. done by, by the U.S. government. Yeah. you know and that's got fucked over say, think... or he didn't get fucked over but his people did and so he risked his own or ruined his own career to support other americans yeah. who deserved better so here's and so it's thing. like he yeah. is a villain but he's also the good guy in the end sort of you know right. so here's the thing know. he i think something about his career stands out to me that i think that some of the roles he takes on uh he kind of suffers from uh, the time period that he was making movies in, in a way like this movie, it doesn't um, explore the villains emotions. Like I, I think he's still in a time where the villains were not getting the same level of depth that they do now. And like this character feels like it had a lot of depth to it, but like 
you know, these days we see movies where like, shoot, the villain can be the, the main person you're watching the whole film, you know, the, the eyes that you're following, like, sure. like the Joker or something like, and you really understand exactly. his, you know, his, um, you know, his motives and the things that have turned him into who he is. And like, I think that this character could have totally benefited from a more modern take on on that villain role because he wasn't a villain and they would have been incredible to see him have a few scenes where he's really processing the emotions of like i mean like the first scene we see is like him sitting in his office smoking a cigar and like struggling with what he knows he's about to do you know mm-hmm. and like you can hear i i benefited from having the subtitles on and you can hear that it's like sound bites of you know him in combat trying to like save his men and his men are dying and like he's not getting exactly any support right. from the government and like you could see that they're trying to capture and convey like this turmoil in his, in his heart, you know? And I think, I think a more modern version of the same movie would have done him a little bit more justice as a villain. Um, that just doesn't come across in a 1996 film. That's all about the action, and you know, whatever. So, you know, I, I, not, that's not to say I'm complaining about the character. I think Ed Harris killed it. I think it was a great character, but I think, that that's a character that you could have gone more in depth on and, and only benefited from because it was a really interesting it was probably the most interesting character of the film. Actually, yeah, I'll say I'll say he for sure was the most interesting character uh of the film with his storyline. By the end, I definitely felt like I had forgotten about that twist. For some reason in my head he was a villain all the way through. Um but I mean he he is sort of, but he's sort of like an anti-villain in that way, right? Like he's a he's villain, but you yeah. you kind of root for him and like you realize that what he was doing was like even in the scene where like the Marines shoot the other Marines, right? Like he's screaming ceasefire the entire battle. Like he never wanted that to happen. He didn't want anyone to get harmed during this. He just wanted his men to get out with money, you know? Um. Yeah, throughout watching this movie, all I kept thinking was, why has Ed Harris never played Lex Luthor in a Superman movie? I just feel like he's perfect for it because he's stoic. Yeah. He's got the cheekbones. I could see him delivering a performance that worthy of a Superman movie. I, I just I, could, I don't understand yeah. I how totally Jesse Eisenberg played the... Lex Luthor before Ed Harris. It doesn't make yeah. any sense to I me. I totally believe that he's a human that could stand up to Superman kind of thing. Like totally. Yeah, with just intensity and drive and right. like I would he has like that, yeah. sort of this focus when he's on screen where you totally understand the motivation and like you believe it. You know what I mean? I I always think of um him as the director in Truman Show, in the Truman Show, you know yeah. what I mean? He's like the God figure in that um, and how subtle and subdued he is as an artist in that character. And yet you totally understand his motivation. Like he's a fully rounded character in that just by, just by the simple virtue of having Ed Harris play him, mm-hmm. which I just found very interesting. Um, and then there's one last actor I really want to talk about here, and that's Michael Bean is in this movie. Yeah, that... I know who you're talking about. I looked him up. I was like, oh, my God, that commander is Kyle Reese from Terminator. Yeah, it is. I, I was just staring at him. I was like, this feels like it's around that time where he would get a role like this, and that just is totally screaming Kyle Reese at me, man. Yeah, was, the whole the time, time he was screaming, I cannot take that order. I do not. Yeah. Stand fast, stand fast. I was like, holy shit, that's Kyle Reese, isn't yeah. it? Like, Dude, I could just hear it in his so voice. Funny. Yeah, I literally pulled up his IMDb. I was like, this is Kyle Reese. I know it. I don't understand why Michael Bean hasn't been, or Bane, or Bean, or however you pronounce his last name, um, hasn't been 
like the goat and everything. Um, I don't get it because he's in Aliens as Hicks, which is a massive hit in 86, Terminator in 84, The Abyss in 89, which is James Cameron again. So they're in three James Cameron movies. And then he's in this in 96, and he's almost a side character in it. And I'm like, how did he fall off? Like, what did he do? Because so here's, here's he's in some thing. of the best movies that everyone talked. Aliens and Terminator are two of the most talked about, like, horror movies of all time. But it looked you know? to me like he played a lot of the same roles every time. Like, some kind of commando or military guy. And, like, yeah. to me, it, it like just struck think me he that got maybe typecast? He, he got typecast hard. Yeah. And I just, I think that maybe he just suffered from taking too much of the same instead of showing some kind of diverse acting chops or something. You God, know, Terminator felt like a real opportunity to me because he had such a big role in that movie, you know, but Navy Seals. I mean, he's in a lot. He, I mean, a lot of these movies that he's in, he is sort of just like a, a man with a gun. Like I'm just looking through his chain of command, which I believe is a Steven Seagal movie, which is another sort of the rock type thing. Um. Anyway, yeah, he's I like Michael Bean a lot. I wish he was in more things. That's all I'm saying. Um. This this whole topic that we're kind of covering this week, which, uh, by the way, I hope you picked a film. If not, start thinking, um, is car chases. And uh, we haven't talked about the car chase in this movie. What did you think of uh, watching Sean Connery rip through the streets of San Francisco in a Humvee? I thought it was fun. Um, you know, I'll say this. I was having a hard time believing that a chemical weapons expert would be so willing to jump into a, what was it? A Ferrari and go chasing after somebody in a high speed chase when he barely even knew what was going on at that time in the storyline. Like I was just like, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing the, the hero mode that Stanley Goodspeed is slipping into here. You know, although I guess if I really think hard about it, like going back to that, you know, first scene we see him in where they get that uh, terrorist box at the lab he mm-hmm. does kind of slip into that same decision making where he's like, I'd rather die than watch this go south kind of thing. He um, mentioned something about like being under pressure later in the movie and how that's when he like, he's really like, I love the pressure. pressure. It's how, yeah. how I make my decisions or whatever. And yeah. so I think it's just like it's just that that's his character trait. It's just like sure. this guy doesn't think when the when the you know, the clock yeah. is ticking, he just yeah. moves. That's when he operates. Yeah, exactly. And so exactly. I I'm okay with that. It didn't ruin anything. But uh, other than that, it was fun. Um, I just wrote down a note on it where I just said, uh, well, two notes. One, there are a ton of jump jump cuts, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just, an, again, a product of it being a 90s movie. Um, you know, nowadays you'd get like one continuous shot with some craziness. Like this one, it was just like cut, 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 cut. I felt like we were watching the uh, the Viper versus the Mountain fight scene in Game of Thrones there oh, boy, for, yeah. for a second because there were so many jump cuts. Um I will say uh, we watched all of rewatched all of Game of Thrones when my son was born, my wife and I, when we both had a month off, and I'd forgotten how much those all every fight scene is just overcut, like way over edited in that show. Like every fight scene is like that. Like the mountain versus, or sorry, the hound versus Brienne of Tarth is like that, and that's like I was in my head. I remember that being so epic, and same with the mountain and and the viper. Like it's just there's one scene where he's just doing like sort of a aerial kick and they cut around it like four times and you watch him do it four different angles and it's just like why the fuck are we doing why is this still going oh my god i remember (laughs) like thinking like dude if if i didn't know i was epileptic before the scene started you'd find out because it's just so much flashing of scenes um yeah so anyway so um, the the jump cuts was one thing the other thing i wrote down was 
why didn't he just demand to see his daughter? Why did he go through all that charade? Like why, when he was demanding to go to the Fairmont hotel and, you know, take a shower, why didn't he say, also, I want 20 minutes with my daughter, you know? Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, instead I'm just going to come up with this daring escape, steal a, you know, commit grand theft auto and smash through the city of San Francisco in order to steal five minutes with her. Pro so many people probably died from like, look, he's like running over cars. Like they do a lot to show the cars. They do are rail the, cable car. <laughs> the, the cable car bit is the main thing I want to talk about here though. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I love a street. I love a car chase in San Francisco because they always find the Hills and have them go off of the hills or over the hills and jump. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's all, no matter what, if you're watching a car chase in San Francisco, San Francisco's a car is way. getting air yeah. 100% San, of the time. San Francisco's no unique what. in that way where it's very hilly. So it's like you have to do yeah. that if you're in SF. Well, and it's just like they're very famous hill. You know what I mean? Like they're very famous roads that are straight down very steep hills so like if you watch a skate video that's shot in california they always find a way to show some people bombing those hills just straight lining them which is crazy i've done it it's not safe it's very dangerous there's a lot of moving traffic um don't do it but you know i survived so people can anyway those that car so you have to talk about that and then the other thing is there's always got to be a cable car in a, in a car chase in, in San Francisco and the way they utilize the cable car in this movie is so funny to me where they push it off and they have the cable car operator just like right off the bat as soon as they hit the cable car he just yells oh shit just like so loud and then later he's like oh my baby <laughs> yeah. my baby yeah they push it off of the off of its tracks and then they push it into some cars and those cars explode launching the cable car like 50 feet into the air like three stories up the cable car goes up it's ridiculous it's so ex uh, excessive michael bay ex like explosion heavy absolutely insane so yeah um but i, I love more it. that sorry well then the cable car once it lands it goes down the hill and crashes into the ferrari that nick cage is in and that guy comes up and is like dude you crashed your ferrari and then nick cage just turns to him and he goes it's not mine and then they cut which i was like what a weird way to end that scene i had forgotten about that interaction but very yeah. funny so having a typical california surfer bro walk up so apparently uh that scene was a complete logistical nightmare and it was just Michael Bay that just like, like pushed, push, push to get that yeah. push through as far as production goes. And, you know, again, yes. I just picked a hole in that in 10 seconds where I just wrote down, why didn't he just request to see his daughter? Like, so the question then becomes, what was that scene actually contributing to the movie? And I think all it did was serve to uh, make you respect Sean Connery's abilities you know, in his ability to escape, his ability to handle uh, an action si situation, so that by the time you get to the rock and they're going up against these Marines, you kind of have a little bit of faith in him that he's going to get Stanley Goodspeed through. And I think that's what that scene did, and I think it worked. Because yeah, it, by the time we get to the rock and he's like sitting there timing the flames, I was like, oh, he's going to get right through that in some crazy way because he's, you know, extremely self sufficient and extremely um, clever. You know, and so, fun. so um, it kind of worked, but it, apparently it was a, a total nightmare to shoot. I think it, it probably also served to get Michael Bay Transformers movies because that's exactly how they're shot as well. With just like weird car chases with a lot of explosions. Um, uh, it's clear that he loves to shoot cars, Michael Bay. Uh, and by that, I mean like 
direct, you know, for the film, not with a gun. Um, then again, with also with a gun. I, uh, yeah, I think it also serves to put Sean Connery in a position to meet with his daughter and good speed to be observing and get that humanizing aspect of Sean Connery, right? Where he's like, I, I did all of this just to spend a couple minutes alone with my daughter. And then it also allows for good speed to be like, hey, your dad's actually working with the FBI. He's not under arrest. He's helping us with a secret mission. You know what I mean? And so it's like it gives them a level of respect. You know what I mean? It gives uh, Sean Connery a reason to be like in his debt a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah. Did you have any other uh, points that you want to talk about? Like, did you have any plot notes or anything that you wanted to talk about on this? movie? Yeah. So I, so the last plot, uh, well, so the last plot night I had was around the same two notes on the same topic. The moment when Ed Harris fires the rocket that he then, um, redirects into the water as kind of his warning shot to kind of keep the bluff going. First, I was like, hold on. The government knows that a, a general has stolen chemical weapons of mass destruction and is literally positioned perfectly in the San, you know, in the San Francisco Bay with, you know, on Alcatraz to just bomb the living yes. daylights out of the city. Or every city in the Bay Area. I mean, and, you're so close to so like you're so close to ten million people when you're on Alcatraz. And their plan, I mean? like, yeah, oh, dude. And their plan was to send in a team, and when that team failed, to just run the clock down to three minutes to the deadline, give them a call and say we need more time. And when he says no, they just say, "All right, bomb them." <laughs> Like that was it. That's all you guys had because they did say that they had a second team ready to go, but not in time. No, they, they did. They and then they decided not to once they saw that Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage were still alive, which still doesn't make sense to me because you have an old SAS operative which, which and express. a chemical weapons. Yeah, the guy was like, "We're working with an old convict and a nerd from a lab." Like, but then he says, "You don't know this convict." You don't know him. You don't know Mason. But yeah. it's like, you guys know that they're they've basically failed because the deadline is hit, and you guys just decided to let him hit the button and fire the missile. That's crazy to me. That like it didn't make any sense to me. I'm like a hundred million dollars is what he's asking for. In eighty three of it, he said, "I want you guys to pay it to those families of of my dead men." So it's yep. not even you're not even giving you know eighty three million of it eighty three percent of that money to the terrorists you're giving it to dead soldiers that's not too bad and the other 17 million is all he's asking for like dude as a yeah. tax-paying citizen just give him that money let's not bomb all these people in san francisco what are we doing let's here not kill my parents like so who live like, in the bay area i was like i literally threw my hands up in that part because he was like there's three minutes left three minutes they're gonna call they're gonna call and then they call and they're like hey we need another hour and he's like no you got three minutes hangs up the phone and then he's like, all right, I guess I'm bombing him. And I was like, that's yeah. it. That's all the government had. What the hell, man? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's an action movie and it's a Michael Bay action movie. Yeah. I think it, in that moment, think I was through like, it logically. Cool. like there's zero risk of this actually happening because you know, like that's so that's that, that basically just showed you that those characters weren't actually operating with any real fear that, you know, a bomb was going to go off. So, um, sure. the other thing I wrote down on that was that rocket flew right over Candlestick Park. Right? It flew right over the stadium and then veered off into the water. 
yeah. right in the middle of a football game. Are you telling me that thousands of people wouldn't have seen that rocket flying over the stadium and be like, yo, it's not like drones were a thing back then. Yeah, that's over in the Bayview district also. So there's a lot of people who live over there too. It's over in like the southernmost point of the city. Like, So how would that not cause panic? Uh, you know? I'm checking up Candlestick Park occupancy. I want to know um, how many people. Seat capacity was 66,000, it looks like. Yeah, and if this movie was in the 90s, the Niners were a good football team. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. So Steve Young, full. Jerry Rice. I mean, yeah. so you, it was you got, it's about 70,000 people was the uh, capacity at Candlestick. This was a pretty cool stadium. I do remember going to a lot of Giants games here. So, um, so yeah. So that, those are the notes I wrote down. There's not much I think to discuss about that other than why wouldn't they just have some quick nod to like there's now panic in the streets. People are wondering what that missile was. You know what I mean? And like they don't even touch on it. It's like everyone's just walking around <laughs> like we're all good. <laughs> Rockets fly over all the time. We're all good. You know. Anyway, yeah, um, pretty silly. The other, um, the other note I had was on sure. um, the things that made me laugh, which were mainly um, Nick Cage quirkiness moments. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them happened on The Rock. I, I think all the ones I wrote notes on were on The Rock, like when he's in the cell and Sean Connery's breaking out again, and he's just like, Zeus's butthole. Yeah. <laughs> I just started laughing because that was just what peak uh, – Nick Cage. What is the line? He's like, "What in the name of Zeus's butthole?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, um, they they break into the morgue. Sean Connery kills a guy by shooting. I think it's like an air conditioning unit or something, and it drops on the dude. And the guy's twitching while yeah. while Nick Cage so is trying to defuse the bomb. And he's like, he's like, "Look, you've, you've been, been around, around a lot, a lot of, of corpses. Bodies. Is that normal?" And like the butt's foot's twitching. He's like, "I'm having a hard time paying attention to what I'm doing here." It, it, that interaction is very funny where he's like, can you do something about that? He's like, what do you want me to do? Kill him again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I think, I think those moments like made them really work together because Sean Connery's playing this tough guy's guy with a lot of bravado. And like, he's just Who very thinks much. That he also thinks Stanley Goodspeed is ridiculous and like kind yeah. of re- doesn't respect him. He thinks he's a fucking kind of an idiot, yeah. you know? And so like he, <laughs> He has a lot of contempt for him whenever he's talking, where he just kind of like watches him and just is like, fuck which, this guy. Which is, which is funny because um, I, I had another quick aside where I kind of appreciated when you get into the morgue and there's a role reversal because, you know, Stanley Goodspeed is basically this babe in the woods following um, Sean Connery around. And then you get into mm-hmm. the morgue and it comes to defusing this bomb. And Stanley Goodspeed like pulls it out and he's like, if you don't respect this, you will die. And like you can see Sean Connery's like, well, like, and he explains how panicking. it kills you and like what it would do to you, and he's handling it one-handed, and right. stand, and then he's like holding it with two hands and kind of shaking it's, a little bit. It's yeah. a total role reversal, like it where suddenly Stanley too. Goodspeed is is steering, and Sean Connery is the babe in the woods, and I I just really appreciated that switch. But then you have that moment where Stanley Goodspeed's like, "Yo, can you get that body to stop twitching?" And he's like, "What do you want me to do? Kill him again?" And it's kind of like he's like taking back control of their partnership. You know what I mean? Where he's just like, "You're an idiot." You, you have no yeah. experience being out here, you know? And I was like, I was really enjoying that back and forth. It was really working well. And then um, very similar to that a little bit later when they take the, they're trying to get those guys to come out and they put a gun to the hostage's head. And then uh, Sean Connery's like, hey, you go defuse the bomb. So I'm going to go 
um, you know, try to get him to not kill the prisoners. I'm going to go stall him. And he goes, what about Henderson's head? And Sean Connery turns around and just gives him a thumbs up. And he's like, okay, <laughs> like, like, that's not an answer. <laughs> you know, but I was just like, I, I'm really appreciating those two. Like, cause it's, it's kind of like Sean Connery being like, shut up, nerd, go deal with the bombs. Like, we don't need to stand around and talk about this. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yet, you know, Stanley Goodspeed's looking for some kind of answers or comfort to like, make sure that he's still on the same page. I don't know. I just, the whole time it was th- that back and forth between those two was just landing every time. I think they did a really good job with that. Um, there was, this movie was produced on a $75 million budget and in the U S it grossed 134 million. Uh, but it's worldwide total ended up being 335 million, which means it, it made its budget back. Um, but it was only the seventh highest grossing film for the U S box office in 1996, which tells me that 1996 must've been a stacked year. Can you Google that? Tell me what other movies came out in 1996. Um, Did you pull up Rotten Tomatoes, by the way? Yeah. On this? What our review scores look like? All right. Let's see. Big movies of 96. Sorted by popularity. There we go. Scream. Mm -hmm. A Time to Kill. I don't know that one. The Rock is number three. Matilda was number four with Independence Day at number five. Wow. Independence Day is in this movie. Is this time too? Who directed no. Independence Day? Isn't it the same? <laughs> no, it's... Um, uh, uh, Roland Emmerich. That's it. Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Sorry. Got a um, vibe. Let's see what else. A Time to Kill is starring Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock, Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Spacey, Donald Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland... Ashley Judd? What the fuck? Dang, this was actually a big how, year for movies, I think. How have I not heard of this movie? Tom Cruise owned this year, too. Happy Gilmore was there, but then you have Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire. Those are there you go. two huge movies for him. The Cable Mission Guy was Mission Impossible is Dragonheart. so good. Oh, Dragonheart. Sean Connery again. Hunch the voice and, of a dragon. Back in Notre Dame. Yeah, Space I Jam know. was 1996. This is a great movie for a great year for movies. Space Jam, first movie I think both of us ever saw in theaters. You know that? I did not. Um, Nutty Professor. Second movie we saw in theaters. Just kidding. Um, Rotten Tomatoes on this movie, 67% from critics. Um, What do you think about that? Would you say that it's a a D plus? Uh, It's the highest. It's the only fresh movie Michael Bay has. It's my understanding. It's one of the fun facts. What? Yeah. What? That can't be right, can it? It has an 85% from audience, and I definitely am way more in line with the audience on this one. I I like it much better than the critics seem to. Um, let's see. Con Air. Well, we'll talk about Con Air someday, so I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, it's the only Michael I, Bay movie with a fresh tomato, Rotten Tomatoes rating. And it barely makes it over the line. But you know what? Like, I, I already said it in this, but I like Michael Bay's movies. I find that like if you can turn off your brain and just understand that he's there for the visual art of filmmaking and not necessarily like the plot aspect, the plot is just there to get the pictures on screen for Michael Bay. You know what I mean? And I appreciate that. Like I'm here to watch when I go and see a Michael Bay movie, I'm not there to like be blown away by like story decisions. I'm there to watch something that is visually interesting and exciting, you know? 
Yeah. It, Michael Bay has called it his favorite film of, of his. And Sean Connery also reportedly considered it the best film he made in his last decade as an actor. Uh, mm-hmm. And he retired after The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in 2003. I didn't know that. Yeah, he took The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because he turned down The Matrix and The Lord of the Rings. And uh, both of those ended up being really good. So his instinct was to turn down League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But he was like, well, F it. <laughs> you know, the last two I turned down ended up. up being... Yeah bangers so i might as well just do this one and then <laughs> it was like i like that movie quite a lot but it was a very big critical and financial failure you know um so yeah movie. it ended it's his really career yeah anyway um cool well i yeah. didn't really come up with a topic for this i figured that i wanted to i was going to make you guys talk about nicholas cage with me but we ended up That's doing okay. that anyway yeah i think we so, dissected this movie pretty well I'm, I'm good with it um let's move on to what we've been watching reading listening to what do you got man just harry potter not a lot of new for me hogwarts legacy um a little bit of nba 2k um still chugging along through always sunny in philadelphia whenever i need something kind of mindless uh just watched the water park episode um (laughs) absolutely hilarious dude i was crying when danny devito goes down that uh prototype slide without any water on it (laughs) It just crying. leaves blood behind Dude, him. Yeah, and he'd been yelling that he had AIDS all day. And like, <laughs> freaking out. The part about that um, episode that I most wanted to shout out was they have the directors from Game of Thrones in it as lifeguards, and oh. uh, those two can go fuck themselves. I don't think their part was funny at all. And they're not I'll, directors; they're uh, showrunners. Yeah, showrunners. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but uh, those two can kiss my ass. I didn't like. They had some scenes. I the first one I saw him when he was up on the slide. I can't remember their names now. Is it Benioff and Wise? That's right. Um, one of them was up on the slide, like letting people go down. And I was like, man, that guy looks so familiar. And then when I saw the other one, it clicked for me. And I was just like, oh, I hate these guys. <laughs> and, and like they had a couple of like quick jokes in it. And they, they, every time I was just shaking my head like, get off the screen. I hate you. <laughs> so, yeah, the understanding on that on those two is that they could have taken longer and split the final season of Game of Thrones into two seasons, but they were ready to move on from the series. So they're like, no, we'll just get it done in this season. Yeah, they phoned it in and ended up yeah. kind of rushing everything. And by doing so, they kind of fucked their careers because everything else they had lined up has basically been pulled out from under them. Like they had an HBO series that was like, what if this, the South had won the Civil War and slavery was still a thing, which who the fuck would want to watch that show? That sounds terrible. They had a Netflix pay or play deal, which was they, like they were going to start developing projects for Netflix. I think they got one movie out, which is like a children's coming of age movie called something about metal that like nobody looks dumb that. and yeah. no one fucking watched. They had a Star Wars series deal that got pulled that got canceled on them like they have done they burned their star hardcore by kind of pushing out that series now look we're we're not privy to all the intricacies of how that all happened but their names kind of got dragged after that final season so i I don't want to spend i mean we only have a few minutes left here so i guess we could just do this um i was talking about this with my coworker about how the the one thing that speaks more to what happened with game of thrones than anything else is just how nobody talks about it anymore like like all these like the only thing that people talk about is that they have sequel series coming out that people have hope will fix what they broke 
Broncos, right? Like that's all we're talking about. We don't or talk about I saw about a headline the other day that was how House of the Dragon is building back Game of Thrones brand. Yeah. Because everyone like, just knows that it got broken and now it's like it was so good at the beginning and in the middle that everyone has hoped that they can get back to that. But the original series has been like genuinely they broke it and left it on the ground. And it's like I think everyone just recognizes that. And it has just moved on because, like, what are you going to do? Just continue to dwell on it. You know what I mean? But, like, that would have been even just a – I've said this over and over again. Even just a mediocre ending would have possibly cemented that show as the greatest show of all time. I just and, think that they tried to subvert your expectations too much in yeah, that final season. Totally. totally. And it was and we don't sort need to get like, into it. We're not on a Game of Thrones yeah. kick right now. It's just, um, you know, I will say, they fucked that up. When so I say hard. that my wife and I rewatched all of Game of Thrones, we made it two episodes into the final season and never went back. So that's... Which is where, looking back, if I had known what was coming, I would have stopped right around there. Because I, at that time, I was like, man, I'm really not enjoying this, but I have faith that they're going to bring it home with the last couple episodes. And then it just... The way they did it was horrible. So anyway. Um, yeah. Rushed. So now every time yeah. I see those guys on screen, I'm like, I hate you. I hate you. I don't hate them and I don't even hold it against them. They made a bad decision. It was a mistake. You know what I mean? And it it's cost them their career. So your hatred isn't doing anything more and than like the fact that they're more not just trying to, get to, to do a lot. I'm less trying to express genuine hatred. It's not like I would walk by him in the street and spit on him or something like I, you I mean, know, you're acting like you would. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I'll dial it back. <laughs> I despise their, deci- their creative decisions as showrunners on that show. Um, and I don't ever want to support anything that they ever make again because of it, because I feel burned and I don't trust that they're going to produce something that I'm going to want to invest my time in. Well, it also Uh, makes it seem like the only part that they did right was following someone else's story. And once the story was in their hands, they just fell apart completely. They didn't know how to do it. Part of that, part of that sounds like they're like a little bit of a victim there of George R. R. Martin not getting his freaking work done. But I'll say this. As human beings, I'm sure they're good people. I'm sure they've got lovely families. I want nothing but the best for them. I don't want to hear that something bad happened to them or anything like that. It just, you know, in terms of spending a decade of my life obsessing over Game of Thrones for it to be completely phoned in in that last season, right? As everything, like you guys were done. Just do right by the show at the, the end. You know, even like the little Starbucks cup thing and, you know, what other stupid little nuances that, you know, people were picking apart. I was like, I don't care about any of that. Just bring it home. And then when that didn't happen, I was, I, I suddenly looked back at all those things and thought, like, if you guys felt this way about the show, why didn't you just step out and go do other things and let someone else finish it the right way? Like, it's crazy to me. It just doesn't, it just screams that they were like, one, we, we cannot accept that you guys could, you know, see us as predictable. And two, uh, you know, we were, you know, we made it big and we're going to go capitalize on that, but we can't wait to do so, you know, and so we're going to just phone this in because we're done with this project and we're going to go on to bigger and better things. And like now, now what do we all have, you know, you guys have careers that are floundering and we have a show that we can't watch anymore, you know, has no rewatchability. I did. I, I disagree with that. I think that the rest of it still stands on its own and is still worthy of the watch and the performances that everybody gives is still really good. And like the character building throughout those first several seasons is great. I think, you know, I just Completely. think that there was some bad decisions made. There's a lot of twists that were planned that I'm, you know, you can't blame them solely on it. Like there's a lot of people that get involved in making a television show, but as showrunners, a lot of the blame does fall on their shoulders. And yeah, there's a disappointing ending. And I think that they, are reaping what they sow you know what i mean like they're not given they're not they 
coming out of that show, they should have been the biggest names in Hollywood. Completely. You know what I mean? And they have done almost nothing since. So, you know, that's what happens, I guess. Their names are kind of toxic at this point, unfortunately. Um, Now, we weren't talking about Game of Thrones. I will just quickly say, watching The Last of Us, watching Poker Face, watching the Wu-Tang Clan American Saga television show on Hulu. It's the final season of that. Still love it. think it's really good. Um, and the Mandalorian's back. It's fine so far. Um, oh, the bit, the big thing I watched, uh, the history of the world part two, which is a follow-up sequel to Mel Brooks, classic comedy history of the world part one. Um, it's a television show where they got a bunch of up and coming or not up and coming. They got a bunch of the biggest comedians currently starring in in film to do basically comedy versions of very famous stories from the Bible and history in general. Um, there's one where Seth Rogen plays Moses. No, not Moses. Uh, who has the Ark? Noah. Uh, he plays Noah. And it is, it literally made me spit out the water I was drinking when it came on. It was so funny. Um, really like that show. Taika Waititi's in it. Uh, Nick Kroll. I don't just a lot of big names. It's really it's great. Um, and Mel Brooks comes back to narrate it, which is good, too. Um, so if you're a fan of Mel Brooks movies, uh, I think they did a pretty good job of capturing the spirit while bringing their own modern twist to it. Otherwise, uh, Brian, it's your turn to pick the movie for next week. Car Chase Cinema. What are we watching? OK, so I didn't do any digging to see whether this one's going to be um available to us so i'll have to do that and maybe subject to change on this one but right now i really want us to watch uh fast five uh, specifically the fifth movie in the fast and the furious installment and then um with a main discussion of uh why it is uh why it should have been the the ending of that film franchise <laughs> we're gonna put it to bed once and for all um dive in on fast and the furious by watching what i think is the most watertight film of the entire series and then and then i think just kind of pick their creative decisions apart from there because i think that's the point where they should have turned it off yeah i think that because the new fast and the furious movie is coming out soon they've pulled it from all the streamings because i know that all the fast and furious movies were on hbo max for a little while i just looked and for some reason they only had number nine on there i think yeah so i think that they just recently pulled them but it's super cheap on Amazon to rent. It's like two bucks. Um, I that's you know it's worth it to me to watch that. So anyone out there who wants to watch Fast Five along with us, that's where you can find it, or just pirate it. I don't give a shit. Um, and yeah, and hey, otherwise we get, we get a little bit of uh, Paul Walker, which is great. Miss him in cinema. So um, yeah, you Fast know that five. he dated like a underage girl for a really long time oh well uh, one of those things that people on. don't talk about with him but yikes <laughs> very move, move weird <laughs> sweep that right under the rug oh my god all right everybody join us next week uh fast five thanks for listening thanks everyone bye bye